Church, James chapter 4. This is where we're going to be at this morning. We'll continue and finish up this chapter. Listen, I just want to thank you again, like we say every week. Just thank you for being here. I know it's cold. I know there's it's early. But I'm just so thankful that we get to spend every Sunday together in God's Word and, and, and begin our week with this. And so... James chapter 4 this morning is where we're going to be at. And I'm going to read this passage and then we'll pray. And I'll ask the Lord to speak to us through this text. But I believe what we're going to see this morning is is James continuing to be intentional and practical about what we experience every single day as individuals, as parents, as uh, as a family, as, as people who are working and living and functioning in everyday life. And James is just so clear and to the point. We're going to see that again this morning. And so I want to read this. We'll pray. And then we'll see what God's got for us this morning. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. Let's read together. Verse 13. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Church, let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the confidence that we can have as we step out and we function and we live in our day-to-day. That God, that you're faithful and that your promises, 1 Corinthians tells us, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ as we rest in you and who you are and what you do for us. Father, I pray this morning that we could see in our own lives where we fall victim to this mindset that we see here in James this morning. God, allow us to be honest, allow us to evaluate, but God, most importantly, God, allow us to find the encouragement and the direction that we desperately need from your word this morning. Father God, we just come to you humbly and lay ourselves before you and your mercy and your grace. Father, I know we all come with burdens and with worries and with anxieties and struggles. God, let us see the confidence that we can find only in you through your word this morning. God, we love you. Lord, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. So last week, church, we kind of, as we got near the end of chapter four, just to bring us up to speed just a little bit, what we saw is we evaluated the source of our conflicts and that that source is self-centeredness and that from that would become uh, the sense of criticism or, or judgment that we would put ourselves in a place as a critic that is a seat only reserved for God to occupy. And so as we kind of navigated that, we began to see what God calls us to do about how we speak of each other, how we, how we view each other, how we evaluate each other, and that it should never be in this place of criticism or tearing down, but always in this place with the intentions of building up and trying to see God's work fulfilled. And so as we continue on, you know, this middle 
middle portion of the book of James is all about looking into our lives, being super practical and intentional about the things that we experience and really continuing to lay before us the very actions that our lives live as believers, how our lives are, are lived out, how they are active, how they are, uh, how they are seen by others around us. And so that's what this whole series has been about, working from victory or there being this work that is overflowing from the victory that we have in Jesus. And so that's what we continue to communicate this morning. And what we see, and I hope you can, can start to see it even from reading that text, that James is really focusing on our worry. He's focusing on our planning. He's focusing on our anxieties. He's focusing on this, this thing, this, this, these feelings or this, this place that we live and that we function in every day. Because in reality, the worry is a part of our battles and it's a source. Uh, the, the source of our worry tends to be our plans. It tends to be our expectations of, of what's ahead of us. And so this morning, if I had to sum everything up that I want us to, to kind of gather from this and what we'll see as we will come back to it as we wrap up towards the end. But is this idea is that we would let every plan be bathed in prayer and carried out in humility and dependence. And I'll say it again from this perspective. If I had a subtitle this morning, it would be this, that we are warring, warring against our worry. That we were at war with our worry. And that I believe that from this text, the solution is this, that we'll kind of come to again at the end. That we would let every plan be bathed in prayer and carried out in humility and dependence. Humility and dependence. And so there are three things this morning that I want us to see. Three places that we must face to win this war on our worry. To win this war on our anxieties, on our struggles, on the things that come against us and weigh us down. And I believe this text lays that out very clearly for us. And, uh, and it'll be three things. And the first thing that we see is that we must face and evaluate our plan. Face and evaluate our plan. Starting in verse 13, James says this, he says, come now. Now these words come now are very strong words. They're very exclamatory words. They're meant to excite attention or to draw them in. I can almost imagine James speaking this in a way where he's yelling it almost. With, uh, with, if it was written out with a million exclamation marks behind it on a text message or on a uh, social media post. Like he's just calling out to them with the most draw, trying to bring their attention to this very idea that we see this morning. And, and I believe very much like their lives for us, the reason we don't face our worries or the reason we don't face our anxieties or the things that are weighing us down is because of our distractions, because we are so distracted by our own plans or we are so distracted by the things that are around us or we are so distracted by uh, the, the things that we think we have figured out. And in our distracted world, we need this exclamation of come now, listen now, lean into this. And so he's telling them in this moment, in this very busy time in this very busy period for them and for us. Come now, lean into this and hear what I have to say. And then continuing on in verse 13, he says this as he begins to kind of draw us in to evaluating our plan. He says this, you say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make 
prophet. And so what he's, what he's bringing to mind is he's bringing to mind, helping them see that, hey, you've set out to make this plan. More than likely, the kind of people that we're seeing here are Jewish merchants, these people who had a business or they had an intention to sell or to do some kind of task for profit. And so what he's telling them here is like, hey, you've made this exclamation. You've made this proclamation or this intention in your life that today you're doing this or tomorrow you're doing this and this is how long you're going to do it for a year. And then in this year, you're going to make a profit and you're going to do this and you're going to do this. And so he's bringing their attention to their plan. And so the thing we have to understand first off is that God is not against us making plans. The Lord is not against us making plans. Ultimately, the Lord works by a plan himself. And so we know that in Proverbs 21, 5, he says this, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. But everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. And so we know that God's intentions are for us to have a plan. And so for us to know and to understand and to really accept in our own lives is that to know that life is made up of decisions to be made. It's made up of goals to be set. But what James is rebuking them of and what he's communicating to us this morning is that James is rebuking the purpose of those plans and the foundation for those plans. The problem of these individuals that James is speaking to here is not what they've planned, but what they haven't considered in the midst of their plan. And there's two things that I said here that I believe that James is rebuking them for, the purpose of their plan and the foundation of their plan as James is speaking to them. The first thing being their, their purpose. These men were, would have been, through their communication, through uh, James's evaluation, these men would have been materialists. They were very focused on what they had. They were very focused on the things that they could collect. They were very focused on the profit. They were very focused on what they could do with what they had and trying to be very precise and trying to gain more of what they had. Like a very much much like our culture, focused on the profit, gaining more and more for more sake, not necessarily for any end goal, but just to have, just because I feel like that's what I'm here for. I'm here to work. I'm here to gain. And, and I should be working harder to gain more because that's what this is all about. Right. And so, you know, whether it's for the, the sake of gaining more or for comfort or some type of status, then also I believe he's he's attacking them at their foundation. And that that's one of the main things that we see in this text is as they're communicating their plan their foundation is on their personal dependence and their personal abilities. You know, I really believe what we see from these men here is that their peace and their comfort came from what they were holding on to rather than what was holding on to them. That they were dependent on what they could get their hands on. They were dependent on what they could be doing with their hands. That their life was defined by their plan, by their timelines, by their profits, by their experiences. That that was what their lives were built on. And in what we see in this whole statement is we never see one time the Lord mentioned. We never one time mentioned that they were even uh, leaning into God's will, uh, bringing God into the midst of what they were planning to do. They were just communicating. This is what I see today or tomorrow. I'm going to do this in such and such a place to make a profit, uh, to, to trade, to spend. A, I'm going to spend this amount of time there. Like they had this very elaborate, very specific plan for their life, but not at one time were they ever leaning into the Lord to consider what he had for them or what, what, what he had to, to communicate or to share or to reveal to them. In reality, they were acting in this certain way that I believe we find ourselves falling victim to far too often. Because these men, these Jewish merchants, they very well may have been Christian Jewish merchants. Uh, because, you know, in, in, in this time, we know that James was predominantly writing to believers. So they very well could have been believers falling into this. 
And this, this, this place at which they were acting from is a place that I believe we find ourselves at, but they were acting as practical atheists. That they may have been believing that God existed, but the way that they were acting was as if He wasn't, or as if He didn't exist. They weren't acknowledging God in the midst of their plan, or in the midst of, of their purpose, or what they wanted to accomplish. And so, as we evaluate our plans for our lives, or what we have, the expectations we have for who we are, what we do, we have to consider our plans. And most importantly, is the Lord a part of our plans? Because not only do we evaluate our plans, but the second thing this morning is that we have to evaluate our problem. Our real problem that is un unavoidable. And James communicates it here in verse 14. He brings them to that evaluation. He says, Yet, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And he says right after that, what is your life? What is your life? What do you really know about tomorrow? What do you really know about what's ahead of you? What do you really, what can you really expect about the plans that are laid before you? You know, they were making plans as if they had the knowledge and confidence of what tomorrow would bring without considering God. And what they were doing here is a lot of times what we do, because if we're honest, I mean, we all kind of step into to, to our careers. We step into our marriages. We step into all these things, in the, into parenting, with an expectation of how things will go. But the reality is when we step into those things with this certain expectation, it's not necessarily wrong. But in what strength, in what direction, in what power are we stepping into those expectations? Because if, if we're honest with ourselves, how often do things go as we expect them to go? Very seldom, right? I mean, you know, we could have this very precise idea. I mean, I know for me as a parent, I had this very particular idea on how I wanted to parent and how I wanted to be. And, and, and you know, they're going to do this and they're going to fall like this and things are going to be perfect. Um, and then as you raise children, you realize they're, they're crazy heathens that, are, that you can't always, you don't know what they're going to do. You don't know how they're going to respond or react to the things that you do. And then you feel like you're acting like a crazy person half the time trying to just keep them from killing themselves or killing their family members, right? And, and so you, you never really know. And so, you know, if we're stepping in, if we're trying to view tomorrow what we're doing and when we're trying to walk into it with this confidence, like we truly know, like I know what tomorrow will bring. I have an expectation and a confidence that this is what I plan. And as I step in tomorrow, this is what's going to happen. But what we're doing there is we're making decisions with an underestimation of our own limitations. And that's what James is saying. What do you really know about tomorrow? What do you really know about your life? What do you really know? Are, are you the one holding it up? Are you the one that's making that happen? Proverbs 27, 1, he says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And then he gets even more what would seem bleak. In verse 14, he says this. He says, You are a mist that appears and then vanishes. You know, and in a lot of ways, we could take that and be very discouraged. Well, seriously, that's, that's all we are. We're just, we're just a, a mist, uh, a steam, you know, just, a, some, just a, a spout of something that immediately is gone. The only way you see it is a glisten from the light of the sun. But what James is trying to tell him here is we have to understand the finality of life to understand the eternity of God. 
and the internal work that he has had to do and, and plans to do in our life. Because what, what we have to understand is for us, you know, when we measure our lives, we measure our lives by years, right? We measure our lives by our birthdays. Uh, we, we celebrate our birthdays. We celebrate anniversaries. Uh, you know, we celebrate milestones, you know, things that you're, you know, uh, as you're getting older, you know, there's things that you can do uh, as you get to certain ages and, and you just kind of celebrate that, whether you like that or not, even if you don't do certain things, uh, as you get to those ages when you can do those things, you're like, well, at least I'm old enough to do this now, right? Or at least I'm old enough to do this. I'm old enough to vote. I'm old enough to join the army. I'm old enough to buy cigarettes, whatever it may be. You know, as you get to those certain milestones, those are the things that kind of you, you base life off of. But what we see from the Bible is the Bible, what God tells us is to number our days in Psalms 90. Number our days. Focus on today. Psalm 102.3 says, For my days pass away like a smoke, my bones burn like a furnace. You know, because the reality of it, you know, God in this, in the midst of this problem, He's not trying to discourage us. He's not trying to tell us that life is meaningless. He's actually trying to tell us something beyond that. But what He's trying to show us is that the source of our worries, the source of our anxieties, as we try to navigate life, that we are just killing ourselves, we are just smothering ourselves in the, the weight of this world when we even remotely think that we know what tomorrow may bring. And it's not that we don't try to plan, like we've already said, and it's not that we don't try to be intentional about what's ahead of us, but it's when we step into those things, the arrogance and the naivety that we step into those things, thinking that we have it figured out, and then when they don't work out the way we think, or exactly by our plan, we're just destroyed, right? We're just, we're just broken down. You know, in, in Luke chapter 12, Jesus gives an illustration of, of a farmer and, and, the, and his mindset. And, he and this is what he says in, in Luke 12, verse 18. He says, and he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns. I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And Jesus tells him, man, you can spend so much of your life pouring into things that, I mean, maybe they do make you comfortable. Maybe they do give you status. Uh, maybe they do fluff you know, the, the appearance of your life and the things that you do and, and the way that you look and the way that people perceive you. But he says, ultimately, ultimately, if tonight your soul is required, all these things, whose will they be? What profit are they to you now? So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich in God. What is the point? We are not rich in the Lord, leaning into that. And so he's calling us to an investment, an investment with God. That our problem is that we spend so much of our time investing on the things that ultimately, if we stopped existing today, would not matter. 
And it's not to take away from those things that I believe common graces that God has given us to enjoy. I believe, and I, because there are things that I love. Golly, I love certain things. I love to eat. I love, I love, you know, movies. I love technology. Like I love all those things. And there's no, there's no taking away from the, the, the joy that those things give us. But those things are common graces that believer, non-believer can all enjoy. God has given us those things, just like medicine and, 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 and you know, and money and all that. They're common graces that God has given to us. But there's something a bigger, a stronger grace. And it's a confidence that we can have in no matter what tomorrow brings, that God is with me. That no matter what tomorrow brings, that God has not let me go. And we'll get into that more as we move on. But whether we admit it or not, we live most of our days with the mindset of our control and confidence and our plan. You know, if we're honest, that's where most of us live. And, and, and when our plan doesn't work out, then we have a response. You know, and usually when the unexpected happens, you know, we are, we're surprised as if we had it all figured out. When our plan doesn't work out, that's when it begins to well up the anxieties. That's when the despair, that's when the shame maybe in our lack of performance, or that's when the disappointment in our situations well up. Charles Spurgeon said this to bring some, some, some clarity into the situation. He said, there are two great certainties about things that shall come to pass. He said two great certainties of things that shall come to pass. He said the first one is that God knows. God knows. Without question, God knows. He said the second certainty is that we do not know. Those things we can be certain about. God knows and that we do not know. We don't know what the next moments bring. You know, we don't know what life... I mean, man, you can look all around you and see the circumstances of lives that no one could have ever guessed would happen. You know, a week or so ago, no one would have ever guessed that a shooter would walk into a particular church in Texas and, and take the lives of two people. You know, no one you could ever guess when a child gets cancer. No one could ever guess that when someone gets in a wreck. I mean, these things are so, would not say random, but they're unexpected. Life is unexpected from moment to moment. And if our confidence is in our plan or our expectations of what's going to lie before us, we will constantly spend our, our, our lives running uphill. We will constantly fill our lives just covered in this, this, this weight of anxiety and this worry of like, well, I, I believe I have it figured out, but then I'm reminded day, out, day in and day out that I don't have it figured out and I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what I'm trying to accomplish. You know, so does this, does this mean that we give up on our plans and our purposes and goals? No, it means that we adjust. It means we adjust our pursuits. You know, it means that we adjust our pursuits. And in that adjusting, it will be adjusting our response and our reaction to the day-to-day -day effects of our uncertainty of tomorrow. And so the last thing that we evaluate, church, is our pursuit. We evaluate our pursuit in verses 15 down to 17. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. And so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. He says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills. You know, I feel like a lot of times we push against the will of God. You know, whatever we do understand about the will of God for our lives, I believe more likely than not, a lot of times we push against the will of God because in some way, shape, or form, we've convinced ourselves that the will of God is this bitter pill that I swallow. 
That if I could, you know, I, I understand God has a calling for me and I understand God's will for me and my life and my family's life, but I, I, I've just viewed it. We've encased it in this bitter pill that is just difficult to swallow and I don't know if I want to swallow it. I don't know if I want to take in what it may do to me or what the effects it may have on me. But what we have to understand is God's will for our life is the very evidence of His gracious love and that God's will comes from His heart and His love for His people. That is not this intention to, to, to keep us from anything, but in reality, the Bible tells us the will of God is the very will that leads us to life abundant. That it's the very will of God that leads us to so much more than anything that we're investing in in this world can offer us. We have to know that the safest place that we could ever be is right where God wants us to be. That His will is the safest place we could ever be. Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Psalm 94.18-19, When I thought my foot slips, your steadfast love, O Lord, helped me up. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations are your comfort cheer my soul. Proverbs 3, verse 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. And in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. Church, God's will is for us to have peace, to be held, to be comforted, and to have an understanding beyond our own. And it's through a trust in Him. Because the reality is there's two parts of God's will, really three, but we're just going to talk about two this morning, not to get too complicated. But the first type of part of God's will is His hidden will. That God has a sovereign plan that, that we rest in, knowing nothing falls outside of His knowledge or His intentions. There is nothing that surprises our God, that catches our God off guard, that God has not ordained, that God has not put His hand on or that has His hand in. There is nothing. That is God's hidden will. We may not understand it or maybe mysterious. You know, we, we don't always understand it. We don't always get it. And it's not always pleasant for us. But we can know that it is, it is God's will and God's will is a perfect will. That is God's hidden will. But there is also God's revealed will, what God has made known to us. His word is His revealed will. His commands through this text, His instructions through the Bible, we see His purposes for His people. And so we can know the will of God by reading God's revealed will through His word. And so we can, in that, adjust our pursuits. Verse 16, he says, as it is, basically what you are doing now, you boast in your arrogance. You boast or you, you, you hold up, you elevate, you self-exalt yourself or your plans or your pride that you think you have it all together, boasting in human ability. But the reality of this boasting or this celebration or this elevation, it only goes as far as our success. The moment we fail is the moment that the boasting ceases, Right? When things don't work out or fall apart and our boasting ends, leaving us with shame and anxiety and disappointment because our confidence was in our own ability and in our own plan. But Paul would tell us, Paul tells us here, he says, man, look, your strength is not found in what you do well. Your strength is in acknowledging your weaknesses. Second Corinthians 11.30, Paul says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 5, he says, On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. He says, I don't boast of the things that I do well. 
Because in boasting of the things that I do well, boasting on my plan, boasting on my purposes, boasting on my expectations elevates me. And then when I fall, whenever I fail in those things, whenever things don't work out the way that I thought they should work out, then that's a long fall and a, and a, and a, and a great hurt that I experience. But Paul says, look, I boast in my weakness so that anything God accomplishes through my life is not in my own abilities, but in his and then even in my failings, I know that if I'm resting in his will, it's where he intends for me to be for that season. We don't always like to hear that or look at it like that. But it's in understanding my limitations, I find freedom to rest contently in all seasons of life. That I can rest contently in all seasons of life and in experiences. Because every difficult thing is moving us towards a greater glory. Philippians 4, 11 through 12, Paul said, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I've already learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. You know, I know that you encounter these people. I know in, in my profession, in my life, I've, experienced, I've encountered these people, men and women, that are living a life that they would have never have thought they'd be living. You know, a man or a woman taking care of a husband or a wife who has Alzheimer's or cancer or, or, or just facing a debilitation that at no point in their life would they have ever guessed that they would be. You know, and if, if, if their hopes and their joys rested in their expectations of how they would have wanted things to be, because ultimately we all want an easy life. We all want to be happy. We all want to find joy. And the thing is, is that God is not against those things. God wants us to experience joy, but joy to the max, joy beyond our moments, joy beyond our failed expectations and our failed situations. Because the reality is, as, as happy and as joyful as we, we are at times, we, are, we live in a difficult world. We live in a world of sickness and brokenness and that it's inevitable that at some point we, we all, the common factor of all of us is that we will all experience loss in some way, shape or form. And so how do we navigate that loss? How do we navigate the difficulties of our, of our failures? How do we navigate the difficulties of our situations? How do we navigate when life becomes a different situation than we would have ever wanted or expected it to be? He says we rest in the will of God to know that where He has us is where He wants us and there's no safer place than where we are. And that no, knowing God's heart that God does, he, he, he does not want us to suffer for the sake of suffering. He does not want us to hurt for the sake of hurt. But knowing that every situation, as we learn to deal with it and navigate it, God is growing us towards a greater glory if we would depend on Him and rest on His plans, on His intentions for our lives. And then verse 17, he says, For whoever knows the right thing and fails to do it, it is sin. James is reiterating his constant theme through this letter that genuine faith is proved by action. If, we, if you have genuine faith, then the action is resting on God daily. Allowing Him to renew your strength daily. Understanding His mercies are made new daily. Then knowing that God is moving us and motivating us from grace to grace, from day to day. What He's speaking of here is not only a sin, what, uh, the, only the sin that we do, or the sin of commission, but also what we don't do, the sin of omission. 
that we may say, I'm not doing anything particularly wrong, but what is wrong may not be what we are doing. It may be what we aren't doing. And so what do we do? Our response to this this morning, church, as we wrap up, the biggest thing we have to know is that we have to understand that God has not called us to nor expects us to depend on our own plans or our own purposes. That He instructs us to be actively seeking Him through prayer, through pursuit, through walking in humility and dependence. As we talked about in the beginning, that we would let every plan, every plan that we have be bathed in prayer and carried out in humility and dependence. Understanding that I am limited on my strength and abilities. Knowing that I am limited on what I even know about what the next moments or minutes may bring before me. And that I would be arrogant to think that I can ever plan well enough to have every situation in my life figured out. Because if we navigate life thinking that we have all the answers, the moment life hits us in the face and we find the unexpected, then we are broken. And we are felt lost in looking and searching for answers in places that answers aren't meant to be found. Because we were depending on something we were never meant to depend on. And that was our own knowledge of what tomorrow may bring. We don't know what tomorrow has, but we can know what, that whatever it has he is in the midst of it. That whatever tomorrow has, He's in the midst of it. Because Acts 17, 28 tells us, it's for in Him we live. In Him we move. In Him we have our being. God is the very creator. God is the very motivator. God is the very supplier of every portion of our life. And if we are resting in Him, understanding that in Him we live, move, and have our being, and find our confidence. Look, you know, there is no greater place that we can be in the midst of, of dark spaces than in the guide of those dark spaces, than in the creator of those spaces, than in the mover and the motivator of those spaces. What better place to go to navigate creation than the very creator of creation? God has, and He's offered us that. Psalms 55, 22, Cast your burdens on the Lord and He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. And remember, we're only righteous through Jesus Christ. So it's when we are in Jesus, He says that you will not be moved. Does it mean that you will not ever have difficulties? No. Does it mean you will not ever experience loss? No. But these things are only a drop in the bucket compared to the eternal glory that God has waiting for us. And that's not easy to always see. And not easy to always accept. And that's why He constantly tells us to seek Him as we'll see here shortly. What we can know about God's will, though, and what I hope that we can see as we know that God isn't telling us not to make plans. He's not telling us to set goals. But what he's telling us is that we can know that the Lord's will will always lead to a lasting legacy. Something beyond our limitations or our fleeting existence. That our legacies aren't built on personal or financial success. Our legacies aren't built on career accomplishments. And our legacies aren't built on our lack of failures or missteps. It is a legacy of eternal investment. That the greatest thing I can do for my family is invest in eternal things. You know, I heard this week and I shared with somebody else as we were having a conversation that I read and just encouraged me. Said the great, it was speaking of it for pastors, but they were also relating it to families. It said the greatest thing you can do for people is seek and pursue holiness. Because it's through your seeking God, it's through your seeking of holiness and pursuing God in all His ways and all He wants to do and grow with you, that overflowing from you will be the positive effects and a lasting legacy on the people around you. Our kids will not care about the things we buy and spend on them. 
Our kids ultimately in the long run will not care about the things that we paid for them to be a part of. The greatest thing that we will influence our kids with is the lasting legacy of the Lord that we instill in their, in their lives. The greatest thing that we will instill in our spouses or the people we work with or the family members around us is the lasting legacy of an experience of who the Lord Jesus Christ is that carries them through. Listen, the presence and the gifts and the things that I do for my kids, those things are not going to carry them through difficult moments. Those things are not going to carry them through loss. Those things are not going to carry them through those issues and those problems and those, those situations where they lose their job. When their spouse uh, hopefully never does, but if their spouse leaves them, just drops them off, the loss of a child, uh, the, 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 the difficulties, situations that they'll face, nothing I can give them physically will ever bring them through those things. Only me constantly pouring over them the hope and the rest that the Lord brings to them, the, the comfort that the Lord wants to instill in their lives, that eternal investment is the only thing that will truly carry them through whatever this difficult life has to bring before them. And so how do we do this this morning? Matthew 6, if you have your Bible and you can quickly turn to it, you can turn to, turn to Matthew 6. You know, in the book of James mirrors the, the, the Sermon on the Mount very, very well and, and, and references it, I believe, even at times. So how do we find ourselves warring adequately against our worry and our anxieties? Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. 34 says, therefore... Do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. I love at the end of that verse, he says, listen, I know there's enough difficulties you'll face in your immediate day. The worst thing you can do is worry about a tomorrow that you're not even sure what it has. He says, face today. Face today. Seek first. Above all, seek first the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God being a mindset, being a purpose, being an intention of life. And then not only seeking the kingdom of God, but seeking His righteousness. Righteousness being our standing before a holy God. This place that we cannot earn or accomplish on our own. He says, seek first His righteousness. Because our righteousness will fail. So three things that I'll leave you with this morning for us to adequately war against the worry that we have in our life. The first thing that I believe that we do, and as simple as these two things may sound, if we're honest with ourselves, these are things that we probably aren't doing on a regular basis. First thing this morning is to pray. To slow down. I'm reading through a book right now that's talking about eliminating distractions in your life and uh, one of the things that it encourages you to do is to take three times, three moments out of your day and physically kneel down to pray. Because the reason most of us don't pray is because honestly we don't ever slow down long enough to do it. That we're rushing from one event to the other, one moment to the other, one situation to the other. And in those moments of prayer we're missing out on adequately seeking the Lord and just getting in tune with who He is and what He has for us. So I want to encourage you first off to pray. The second thing I want to encourage you to do is to pursue. 
to set a path that is never boasting in your own, own abilities, but in the sustaining work of God in your life. So that when things don't work out according to your plan, you can know that your pursuit has not led you away from Him, but He's in there and in the midst of it. Pursue God, and it doesn't matter where you end up, you can know that this is where He wants you to be and this is what He has for you. And the last thing this morning is to prepare. Set goals that are in line with God's revealed will. Read God's Word and to know. Know who God has called us to be. Know the kind of uh, people, the kind of Christians, the kind of parent, the kind of spouse that He's called me to be. And set goals. Plan. Prepare. Things that better your love for God and better your love for others. That we would find ourselves pursuing that. So that we would pray, pursue, and prepare according to God's perfect revealed will. And allow Him to lead us by His hidden will, the plans that He has for us, church. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank You for this morning. God, I thank You for Your goodness. God, I, I thank You so much for Your mercy. God, that if we think back to the Old Testament, God, as, as the children of Israel navigated the wilderness, Lord, we know that they had no clue where they were going. God, the only confidence they had was looking up towards a pillar of fire, to lead them through the darkness. Not a pillar of smoke at day to lead them through the wilderness. God, and the only way they would ever know where they were going or what they were doing was by fixing their eyes on you and your presence. Father, this morning I pray. God, I pray that we would not stop trying to plan, God, that we would not stop trying to be intentional with our lives. God, but I pray every plan that we make, God, that we've invited you into it. God, that every purpose we step into, God, that we've considered you, God, that we've prayed, we've asked for your direction, God, we've asked for, for your, 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 God, your work and your power in the midst of it. God, that we would never step into any plan or any purpose, believing that we alone have the strength to carry it out. God, give us humility to know our limitations and our weaknesses. God, give us the ability and the courage and the confidence to acknowledge where we fail. God, help us to know that you have not expected us to have it all together or to know all the answers. God, but what you have called us to do is to depend on you daily. God, I pray this morning that if we have carried any anxieties or worried worries for the days to come, Lord, I, I know this, it's not easy. God, I know it's not always simple. God, I know that it's, it's always, not always convenient. God, but I pray that we would begin to seek you, God, to strip these worries away from us. God, you, you invite us to bring our burdens. You invite us to bring our worries to you. God, help us to find peace in you. God, help us to trust in you in a way that is not dependent on our own plans or our own purposes. God, that we are resting in you. God, and it's in resting in you that it doesn't matter what we come against. God, no, no, no misstep, no failure, no unexpected event could ever take us out of your hands, could ever take us from your table, from your family. God, and it's in that confidence that we can walk through any situation that comes. 
God, I know that we will never be worry-free, but God, help us to, 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 to better defeat our worry on a daily basis. God, we know it will constantly come. God, but help us to face it in the confidence of the army of you standing on our side. God, help us to face our anxieties with the confidence of you standing on our side. In every situation, in every circumstance, God, help us to depend on you. Father, I thank you again. I ask you to bless us, Lord. Speak to us. God, draw us to a point of dependence constantly. Lord, we love you. Thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.